Hello, everybody. Thanks for checking in to localjobnetwork.com radio, where we bring you expert knowledge and insight into the various aspects of business and employment. I'm your host, Tim Muma. This is actually part two of our conversation about evaluating teachers. I'm speaking with Tony Bagshaw, Managing Director of Human Capital at Battelle for Kids. We focused on defining effective teachers and using some metrics to evaluate them in part one. That can be found at localjobnetwork.com. Find the radio tab near the top of that page and head to On Demand Radio to find Evaluating Teachers Part 1. Next, we talk about how teachers can sell themselves to an employer and even touch on evaluating those educators from a parental point of view. But first, Tony and I consider some other factors to contemplate when comparing teachers. I think it's just, you know, again, you're giving people the idea of, uh, of what this really all entails and, and the complexity to it as well. And one of the questions I have when you're talking about these metrics or value, um, growth, that sort of thing, aren't there other factors that uh, play into a role here? And, if, and again, I'm just throwing things out here uh, in terms of, you know, teachers who might work in an inner city where scores are low, attendance is low versus a suburb, or if you're teaching in a K through five school versus a, a six through eight, I mean, does that all become factors that um, they don't go against each other necessarily, but you, you, you group them together? I mean, how does that work when you have a lot of these different contributing factors to, to the idea of metrics or value? Uh, you, you know what? That, that That's really a good point. And, and one of the challenges that you have if you work heavily in the educational reform space is we all believe that all the schools in America are like the school we went to. Sure. And yeah. You, <laughs> and you have the advantage or disadvantage when you work in this space is, hey, everybody's been to school. Um, <laughs> so, so we have a particular worldview of what this looks like. And I can tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. To give you an idea, we've we've done compensation reform work in Houston, Texas, with 365 schools, a large urban setting, 210,000 kids, and we've done compensation reform work in Bradford, Tennessee, with 367 kids in a single building, and that's the whole school district. <laughs> Those are radically different places. Of course, context matters. Change, <laughs> all change is contextual. I, I'm not here to say that um, if you work in, for instance, a high socioeconomic suburban school district, that that's all wine and roses. Uh, that comes with its own particular set of, of expectations right, and challenges. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but here's, here's why the value-added metric gets so much attention. Because what we know clearly, and it's absolutely indisputable, is that the, if you're looking at pure achievement data – we are looking at ACT scores. We are looking at SAT scores, depending on your state. Um, we are looking at the percentage of children who pass a particular state test. The most highly correlated statistic is going to be the SES level of the parent. Okay, We have known that since the 60s, but that is not that cannot be an excuse because mm-hmm. there are also schools, even Coleman, who did that research in the 60s, said there are a bunch of schools here that I can't explain that should not be producing the results that they're producing. And that's what the value-added metric attempts to do. Okay. Because typically the SES level of a child is not a variable. It's typically a constant. So after you have two or three test scores on a child, you can start making some decent predictions about where they should score. Okay. So, so yes, context matters. I'll give you another example. I'll go back to that 
framework that I referenced earlier, where we talk about high expectations for children, we talk about relationships with kids, we talk about being innovative and teaching in the moment, and we talk about routines. In our study of highly effective teachers, what we tend to find is that that ability to manage classrooms well the routines, that matters more in urban settings. Okay. So, of course, yes, there's absolutely some contextual aspects to this. Now, for those listening that, you know, they're looking for a teaching position, they, they've gone through their schooling, or maybe they're even looking to, to get back or uh, change career sort of thing. I mean, what advice would you give them in terms of trying to sell themselves, stand out in this sort of, I mean, really tough climate in terms of, uh, you know, teachers and, and finding employment because there are all these factors. So what do you use to sell yourself? Do you use performance of, of student test scores? Do you do you incorporate experience at, you know, whether it be a, a, rough, a rougher school in terms of performance or a, you know, a, a higher uh, ed- educated school? I mean, what, where do you look to to really sell yourself if you're looking to get a teaching position? Well, I, I think I will go back to what I've always um, believed about uh, the education profession, and this is, you know, this is year twenty-five for me. Um, I've had a ton of different positions. I've loved them all. I think it's still one of the most rewarding professions on the planet. I think, along with, um, <laughs> you know, the clergy and and with medicine, I, I, I think um, so. For me, it, it's always has been and always will be a heart profession. Uh-huh. Um, if, if you truly get up every day and um, want to make the world a better place for kids and believe that having you know great quality public schools is a cornerstone of American democracy and you want to be a part of that, uh, then it's a great pr- profession. But that needs to be your reason uh, for doing this. In terms of, of selling yourself as a young candidate – um, I, I don't know that teaching is radically different than than what I've always looked for in a candidate for any position. I you know I really want to know three things. I you know I want to know you care. Um, I want evidence that you care and that you will continue to care about quality. Um, I w- I want to know that uh, you're a learner and a lifelong learner, and that if I hire you in year seven, you're going to be a little bit better than you were in year six. Uh, and frankly, I, I want evidence that you work hard. Because those are those are always uh, that's the world according to Tony. But those are those are the three things I want in everybody I hire. I want I want to know care, work hard, and learn. And if you give me those three things, everything those will lead to success. How about those that are currently working at a school and maybe they they want to improve their their status or or they think their reputation is lacking or maybe they're concerned about uh, a school district moving to a, a performance based pay? Do you talk with administration? Do you I mean what what can you do to to show maybe that extra effort or to show hey I'm I'm developing it as a teacher just just to improve their their place really at the school or in the district? Well, I mean, if you if we were talking here in real specifics uh, about pedagogy, I, I would go with the research and, and I would talk about formative instructional practices, formative assessment type mm-hmm. of work. I mean, I think the research is pretty compelling and pretty clear that those practices, well-learned and well-practiced, uh, make a difference for kids. So that's a, kind of a technical uh, answer to that question. I think what I'm most excited about coming onto the horizons, one of the things I'm really excited about is we're increasingly being asked to design uh, innovative career ladders for teachers. Um, and I think there is just so much promise in that work. And, and I think we've got, we've got great teachers. We've got these people who have proven over time. They've got evidence that, that they're highly successful with kids. 
and not only moving kids, you know, across academically, but forming these relationships and and creating kids that have a, a passion for learning and a passion for the topic long term. So I, I guess if you know, I guess if I were talking to a group of teachers, I would say, hey, get involved. You know, be willing to take a role in the system that's broader than just your individual classroom. You are a star. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's get out there and 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 push push. Uh, in this area of innovation, particularly, I love the career ladder notion, so that people can can have be more impactful in their local educational settings, but at the same time, not have to leave the thing that they're best at, which is interacting day in and day out with kids and 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 creating more opportunities for kids. With all the stuff we've talked about in in terms of evaluating teachers and and some of the the technical things you brought up and the idea of metrics, one aspect that we haven't really touched on is the parents. And if they're looking at teachers of their children, clearly they want to feel a sense of, uh, you know, that their children are in the best position possible and that the teachers are are who they hope they would be in terms of effectiveness and, and other aspects. So if you're going to talk to parents about what they should look for or what they should maybe be involved with to, to see this and understand that they're, the teacher is doing a good job or if unfortunately they're not doing a very good job in terms of educating their own child, what would you suggest to them they look for or any tips or guidance or who they should talk to? Because in the end, obviously, the parents are going to determine a lot in terms of of what goes on in the school if they're involved. And we've seen that time and again, whether it be for better or for worse, where parents get involved and it does affect teachers. So what, what advice do you give to the parents on this side of the issue? Great question. <laughs> well, I, I am a consumer of this as well. I have three children. <laughs> the, there you go. The oldest one is a sophomore at Purdue who has finals this week, and uh, <laughs> the the youngest is 11. So, uh, you know, I, I've certainly been on that parent side of things. And uh, I also have uh, two girls and a boy, and they are rad at you, you. You never truly appreciate genetics till you're a parent, I don't think. <laughs> so I, I guess uh, uh, I've also been a, I was a school board member for six years. So I, I think I've seen this from just about every angle. I think what I would say to parents is that you're going to have to strike that balance between um, advocating for your child, which is your job, but also understanding that there there is a part that you got to help your child learn to, to navigate the system. Um, and, and so this, um, you know, I, I find myself personally, well, I, let's just talk about some basics, okay? One of the basics is if you have a concern, go to the teacher, okay? The, just like the worst thing you're ever going to do is say, I'm not going to talk to this person, right. and I'm going to skip right above them and go straight to the principal because all of the good solutions are off the table by then because you've already raised the bar on, on yeah. <laughs> in terms of the circumstances. So always start with the teacher. Make sure you have all the facts. This may be shocking, but kids don't always tell the whole story. Really? Okay? I've never so, heard that. <laughs> so make sure you have all the information. I, I, I always approach it from the default position of this person cares about my child. They want what's best for my child. Uh, and almost all the time, that usually is the case. So approach it from that perspective. Go directly to the person and say, hey, here's the story I'm getting. Can you help me understand what else I may need to know in this circumstance? And, and you'll have success meeting with that person. I, I think that, that parents, part of advocating for your child, if they're struggling, pick up the phone and call them and say, I need some help with this. 
you know, my child tends to respond best with A, B, and C. Can you help me? Sure. Uh, and I have found teachers are all, you know, every experience I've ever had, they're willing to give that little extra nudge to your child to say, sure, I'll help you with that. Let's set up the following system and see if we can get this, um, you know, back in line. But I will also tell parents, um, hey, you got to balance with your individual child when it's time to talk to the teacher and when it's time to look your child in the eye and say, hey, they're the teacher. They, they, they set the bar. Your job's to hit it. And, uh, you know, I, I've got two that don't need that conversation very often. I've got one that needs that conversation about every other week. <laughs> I guess you just have to decide as a parent where that balance is. But I, I would I would not what I would say is um, make sure you have all the information first and, and make sure you've talked to the person because 90 plus percent of it can get resolved between the parent and the teacher when all the facts are on the table. And it sure doesn't hurt to bring little Johnny in and sit him in the room while the parent and the teacher have the conversation and make sure that Johnny understand he's got a part to play in this as well. Sure. Because in the end, we're trying to produce kids who are self-starters, who want to take on responsibility. It, it, the, the challenge comes in and the kids are ready for those different levels of responsibility at all sorts of different times, depending upon the child, on the gender, on the setting, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I do appreciate that perspective on it. I think, you know, obviously teachers are of utmost importance, but, you know, the role that parents play, good and bad, obviously, uh, you know, it's a whole nother show in of itself, but I appreciate you touching on that aspect of it as well. Unfortunately, that is going to signal the end of our time here on Nobody's Perfect and our discussion on evaluating teachers, their effectiveness. Of course, it's a, a challenging part and extremely important part of consistent success for students and schools as a whole. Tony Bagshaw has been our guest. He is the Managing Director of Human Capital at Battelle for Kids. Tony, where can uh, people find out more about your organization? Well, the, if they just Google Battelle for Kids, it'll take them uh, straight to our website. And certainly if there's anything um, that they have any specific questions about, um, I'm, I'm happy to give people my email address. It's, uh, it's T. Bagshaw at Battelle for Kids. It's uh, just like it sounds, T-B-A-G-S-H-A-W at battelleforkids.org. B-A-T-T-E. L-L-E-F-O-R-K-I-D-S dot O-R-G. All right, great, Tony. Well, again, thanks for bringing us your uh, your insight and your perspective today into this topic. Hey, thanks for having me. Very enjoyable. And, of course, if you, the listeners, have any comments or suggestions, please email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. I'm your host, Tim Muma. Remember, nobody's perfect, so please watch your step. 